0: Hello and welcome to Co op your one stop shop for co op news and reviews. This week, hold on to your socks because we've got a special episode. Hi, I'm Peter and I'm here with Mike. Hey, everybody, we've got another special episode
1: for you. We've got two guests this time, but they work together the amazing designer
0: team, the Sadler Brothers. Hey, Brady here. Hey, it's Adam. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us, guys. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, it is
1: such a pleasure to have you all on, especially because we have a bunch of games you've designed to talk about. But before we get to that, we always like to have our guests talk a bit about their uh, history with board games, and especially for you, how you got into designing. You've probably been saying this stuff a thousand times since I know you've been doing the the interview circuits to promote Street
2: Masters and everything. Yeah, yeah. We've got it down pretty well, though, now. It's like a rehearsed play. Yeah, yeah. So, so,
1: <laughs> so uh, you know, g- get out your script and uh, make sure you, you know, t- tell, tell your jokes like it's the first time. It should be amazing. And, uh, yeah, so why, why don't you start out with, uh, I mean, y'all, y'all are brothers, so I would imagine it was a somewhat shared story, but how did you get into kind of tabletop board gaming in the first place?
2: Well, I always let Adam start off because Adam's name was first recognized more than mine. So, <laughs> Yeah,
1: Adam's always first in everything.
2: So since
3: we're twin brothers, we grew up you know playing games a lot when we were kids, but I think one of the ones that opened the door to hobby games was uh, Hero Quest. Brady got it for Christmas one year, and our mom played it with us, and it was like, wow, board games can be really cool. So that kind of led us into Warhammer and all these bigger games and D&D and everything. And uh, after college... Brady was working at FFG um, in the marketing department, and a game producer position opened up, and I applied and got turned down the first time. And then they called me back a couple
0: months later, saying, hey, we got somebody got fired. You want their job?" <laughs> so, <laughs> so, Brady, does that speak to your work ethic then? That your brother couldn't get hired at the same place you were already working? Usually, nepotism is <laughs> pretty strong. Well, there was there was a funny story about how I got on board there. It wasn't
2: pretty, so <laughs> I had my own challenges. I I flopped my first interview because I, uh, I I was coming on as a marketing writer, but I kind of let made it clear on the interview accidentally that I wanted to be a designer, and this was my way to get the, my foot in the door. And you shouldn't do that with a job interview when you're <laughs> interviewing for a position that's not what you're talking about. So <laughs> I was lucky to get hired in the first place.
3: <laughs> yeah, and I was told by Corey Kneska, my my manager at one point, let. L- l- One of the reasons why I didn't get hired the first time is because I thought I would have been a better fit as a game designer instead of a game producer. I found out later that was why I wasn't considered right off the bat, but I was lucky enough to get my foot in the door anyway.
1: (laughs) That's ironic.
0: Yeah, so the the thing that you said that I also thought was interesting is one of you got a board game for Christmas and the other one didn't. That's kind of mean. (laughs) <laughs> well Adam got a you got a video game or something I think and-
3: I don't I don't honestly don't remember anything that I got that year for Christmas that was yeah. like, you that get an
1: because- Atari and you get quest.
2: <laughs> <laughs> congratulations a- quest
1: is better than Atari that's yeah. a classic right there
2: <laughs> Yeah, that that dominated that Christmas. So, and I, and I remember the main reason I was excited about it was because like I had this weird affinity for like dollhouses, but I didn't like. Obviously, I didn't want to like go. Hey, I want to go play with a dollhouse because you know I was playing with boy toys and stuff. But I, my mom like made her own dollhouses, and she like had all this furniture and stuff. And I'll be enough when I got here. it was like, oh, cool. It's like tough guy furniture, sweet. You
1: know? <laughs> so <laughs> That was they my have first cabinets with to skulls it. on them. <laughs> yeah. Dude, that, that is, by the way, that is super weird, what you just said, because I had a weird affinity for
0: dollhouses when I was a little kid. <laughs> it's natural, um, I, like I was about things, to have true <laughs> confessions and say, I actually wanted a dollhouse when I was a kid, too. All right. See this we gender stereotyping stuff? Like, whatever.
1: Every, every every boy secretly wants a dollhouse because you know what dollhouses are awesome and your GI Joes can fight inside the dollhouse so it all works out.
3: Yeah,
2: and they can like break tables and they can jump off the roof and do like elbow smashes on the Cobra Commander. It was <laughs> awesome.
3: <laughs> it was it was kind of funny because because Hero Quest actually like introduced me to FFG because I saw Descent on the game shelf in when the game stores one one day I was like that yeah, looks kind of like HeroQuest Quest so I bought it and that kind of introduced us to FFG. Then actually when I got a job there I you know I was a game producer worked on a couple projects and I saw a second edition of Descent coming up on the schedule I told my manager I have to work on that and that kind of led me to becoming the lead designer for it and that's kind of what got me like introduced into the official hobby game world as a designer
0: wow so Descent was your fir- second edition was your first game you worked on
3: Um, Well, my first main design, the only game I designed before that was when I was in college. I was working at a um, puzzle and game company called Mega Brands, which is like they made Mega Blocks, the Lego ripoffs. They had a a board game license for Avatar, the movie, and nobody there could design board games because it was like a graphic design studio. So me and a guy that worked there, you know, volunteer, we'll design a board game because we play board games. So that was kind of my first design. You can still find it on Amazon, I think, but it's uncredited. <laughs>
0: Very nice. See, we're, we're digging deeper. We're digging deeper. We're not yeah. going with the generic story here.
1: <laughs> Whenever uh, James Cameron comes out with, you know, the second Avatar movie, I think, I think it's been pushed from like 2012 to 2020 now. You can uh, do a follow-up game. and That'll be amazing. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it might be better now. Oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, hopefully. <laughs> no, this time it really is the last Airbender. I swear, <laughs> I swear. <laughs>
1: No, wrong avatar, man, wrong avatar. The Blue People Avatar. Oh, that <laughs> <Yes>. Avatar. <laughs> that Avatar, uh, yes.
0: Yes. I actually introduced my kids to that a couple months back, so very cool. I like that one too.
3: Yeah, it had the game had like a three dimensional tree that you climbed up on. It was it looked kinda cool for a for a kid's game, <laughs> but it it was very simple.
1: Nice.
2: That's amazing. We're gonna have to track that down. <laughs> <laughs> I was not involved in that. Just to be clear, <laughs> <laughs> nice.
1: It, it it does kind of blow my mind that like your intro to game design was at Fantasy Flight Games. You know what I mean? Like like Peter and I are just like making dumb crap in our basement. You know what I
3: mean? Like, it was uh, definitely that's... diving into the deep end because I mean, I, yeah. I all I could think about was like I love Descent, but there are things I wanted to change about it. So I, all I could think about was like let's do what I want, what I think would be perfect. And so I wasn't really thinking about big picture I was just thinking about getting excited about helping make this cool game so if I if I would have thought hard about it I probably would have freaked out and got fired because I wasn't working hard enough and I was stressing too much but it (laughs) was a fun experience
1: (laughs) that's awesome so from there uh, I mean I know you all eventually had like full lead design on a Warhammer quest and that was like your baby yeah so how did you get from working for FFG and uh, and working on descent to like designing your own entire game
2: well, from there, I, I was in marketing for a year. Um, so Adam was actually starting up Descent when I was like kind of winding down in marketing because they found out I was doing a lot of work with the, with the development team. So they pretty much knew, well, this guy is going to be a developer. So they eventually, after a year, moved me over to R&D where I was a content developer. And I um, that was like right when Descent was, I think, like at its peak in development. So I was kind of helping out with the expansion already because they always prep that stuff ahead of time. So beyond, I was doing like Mansions of Madness scenarios for the first edition. I was doing Gears of War expansions, just kind of designing a bunch of new content for existing games. Wait a
0: minute. What? 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 Gears of War expansions? There was one <laughs> expansion, Peter. Didn't was know? there? There was two. There's two, yeah. actually. There was a mission oh, pack
2: two? and an enemy pack, I believe. They, oh, yeah, that's, right, that's right. Two for POVs, first edition yeah.
0: Gears of War, the game that's sitting in my other room over here? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can probably still
1: find them somewhere. It's it's kind of like all those expansions for Warhammer Quest, you know? There's that, <laughs> yeah. that one POD expansion for that.
2: Yeah. And the funny story about Warhammer Quest was we actually designed that after we left um, FFG. So the, it started off, though... I was really kind of enamored with um, Death Angel Space Hulk because when I first yeah, yeah yeah when I first got my hands on I was playing it co-op and I didn't like it that much but when I started playing it solo and and just kind of enjoying the setup and teardown of it I was I was thinking man this needs to be done more and I know we're doing a lot of GW games here so like we were kind of just Adam and I were just talking about how to do a, a game that kind of bridged that gap from Death Angel to something a little a little heavier but with Warhammer Quest and every time we'd like talk about it we just kept getting like no 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 everyone's like no it's not, whatever we're not, we're not doing that right now. Um, and they, did, I, they didn't want us working on projects directly together because we were brothers, I think. because Well,
3: because after Descent, they, they promoted me to manager. And I had to take it because it was like more money and stuff like that. But it also meant like less design work. I was managing people, and I didn't like that. And I couldn't work on Games of Brady because I couldn't manage my brother on a project. So it was, it was really weird. And there are lots of variables of why we both decided to move on. But when we left FFG, we kept that idea and we pitched it to them after we left. And they're like, oh, you know what? If we did that, we would just do it in Descent because we have the Descent setting, which is ironic because now we're doing that with <laughs> Hysteria.
2: <laughs> Very roundabout way. <laughs>
3: but, but yeah, eventually they're like, okay, well, you know what? Let's do that anyway. So we got we signed on and that was our first big co-design to published together that we got to design,
0: which was after we left FFG. Going back even, you know, back to the beginning of the story, was one of you a bigger board gamer when you were growing up or were you both totally into it? Well, I
2: think we had different interests within the hobby because Adam always was, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, Adam, but you've always don't, been more... Don't talk for me. You've always been more attracted <laughs> to uh, to miniatures. Like, you know, Warhammer was like the big peak of you know, high-speed yeah. of Warhammer. So that was like your big area. And I got really, really deep into co-op gaming. Like, I, I loved Arkham Horror and I used to play Runebound 2nd Edition solo and co-op. So that was like what I really got latched onto. So I think we we both always carried those interests but in in college I went to school for creative writing so I got really deep into world building writing lore um so when I published my first novel like I tried to get that done before I moved on to game design I think that like kind of just Kind of latches me into a certain aspect of game design, so we kind of occupy different areas, which makes I m- probably makes us work so well together. But um, I think we've always we always had the same level of interest in the hobby. I think it just it, it's in different pockets.
3: Well, yeah, we we don't we both definitely like games, but we have like the different specific interests within games. You know how everybody now has like specific tastes in games because there's so many games out there. But I've always been a big uh, tabletop wargamer. Like I got into Warhammer, and I still spend tons of money on Warhammer. I like painting miniatures and building armies and stuff. And so I spend a lot of time doing that. And Brady spends a lot of time playing games. He even plays games solo all the time because I have to. Because I he has to. to.
0: <laughs> but yeah, there's uh, nobody to play with.
3: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like I live I live down the street from him, but I don't know. I'm not always able to play games and I don't want I don't necessarily want to play games as much as he does because because <laughs> I work on them all the time. But Brady's right. kind of ravenous.
2: <laughs> well, that's how it was when I was writing a book. I'd have to read constantly. Otherwise, I wouldn't write like I, I get I get that, you know, ambition to create by devouring stuff within that creative space that i'm working on so when i used to write books i would just read novel after novel just to keep myself motivated so it's the same way with games i have to keep playing games or i just kind of lose interest in it
0: no it makes sense and i mean i don't want to jump too far ahead we're not going to skip here as a tar- chair here but <laughs> street masters is kind of that perfect combination for you guys it's kind of a tabletop wargaming with the tactical movement but yet at the same time it's a co-op board game so i, I guess that was like right in your wheelhouse
3: yeah, and we'll, we'll we'll get more into that too when we talk about it. But it's definitely a game that we designed because we wanted to play it. Like we just we always enjoy playing it.
2: Yeah, and I think that was the foundation of it because, like you said, like Adam, Adam has a very tactical miniatures mindset, and and I just love card play. I love my favorite type of game is a co-op card game. I just I have well, tons of those. And
3: I should specify that I love I love miniatures and dice. I love I have to have yeah. both of those.
1: So. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we haven't designed a game without dice yet. Uh, I guess our feelings, <laughs> but yeah, no, we're we're the same way.
1: So uh, yeah, you you brought up Warhammer Quest, and I'll say personally, it was a big hit for me. I really loved that game, and actually for a while, I was on BGG. I was the one running like the unofficial FAQ and collecting the the responses from you all. Oh, nice. So I was I was kind of a, a super fan of the game. Very sad when the licenses all got pulled and it just kind of died a uh, an unfortunate death. So. Super happy that FFG, you know, like you said, is bringing it back around to the Terranoth setting with Heroes of Terranoth. So, can can you guys talk a little bit about? Kind of that process, like when you found out that uh, it was it, it was going to have a chance at a second life, and uh, maybe some of the improvements or changes you're most proud of with the game. I mean, that, that's a lot of questions. All <laughs> I'm really interested to hear about it. We'll probably cover them all in our discussion, but it is there is a a
3: long and troubled story between Warhammer Quest and Heroes of Terra and unfortunately, there's some details we probably can't discuss. Of course, okay. uh, <laughs> but but it was uh, it was very very uh, relieving to see it finally. Come to come to life.
2: Yeah, there was some back and forth because I think there was a lot of confusion on the product line, which kind of bugged us. Because there's a lot of bureaucratic stuff that goes into it, where some stakeholders in in the publishing world will view a game like Warhammer Quest and they'll attribute success to just the IP. So people see how oh this game's doing well, it must be because people love Warhammer Quest, which is partially true, obviously, but it's also the you know the game design is appealing to a lot of people. So trying to convince everybody that this this game is portable to other IPs and get get the same level of success wasn't always easy and the game came back to us initially so we we sat around with it, talked to the people, we've tried to figure out what, where to go with it. It was a lot of back and forth, different publishers and everything. But FFG was the one that finally said, well, hey, let's let's do this. And that's when we you know, finally got locked in for Heroes of Taran off, and we were super excited. We already had pretty much the whole new core box ready to go to hand over to them once the deal was made. So, But yeah, there was
0: a lot of details between there. <laughs> so you met with them and, and pitched the game?
3: So for the Warhammer Quest over Heroes of Taran off,
0: for here's the Terranoth. obviously Warhammer Quest you were on staff designers at that point no no, no no they
1: said they had already left FFG and pitched it remember yeah
0: yeah oh, no. we All we right.
1: pitched we pitched the concept
3: Come of
0: Warhammer
1: Come
3: on
2: Peter great <laughs> <laughs> game going, sorry man. sorry no it's a it's a very long past <laughs> there's a lot of a lot of plot holes there <laughs>
3: yeah and we talk fast so uh, <laughs> so yeah we we pitched the concept of Warhammer Quest after we left FFG um it wasn't actually a game yet we just had this idea and that you know we signed a contract and we started designing it and figuring out where, what it was going to be. I should say, Brady and I have never actually t- released a game that we pitched to a publisher. Typically, we just get contracted to, for a design, and then we we do it. And So that's what, how that worked. And when Warhammer Quest was kind of out there in the wild and doing well, we were really happy, but we were also worried because we didn't see any movement for expansions and stuff because we hadn't get, got contacted for, you know, for expansions. So we knew that something was up, and I also knew that, you know, when I worked at FFG, I knew that Games Workshop their license went for like a certain number of years, and they would renegotiate. And so I I figured that the time for renegotiations re- was coming up, and they weren't sure if they were keeping their license. So I kind of that was kind of like writing on the wall to me. I just saw right. that GW is just seemed to be doing wanting to do more their of their own games, and you can see that nowadays Games Workshop is Absolutely. just exploding with with games. So it sucked. Um, we were very bummed because that was our first co design, and people seemed to really dig it, and they wanted more and we couldn't give him give it to him.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
3: So we definitely we met with FFG every year at Gen Con after that, you know, we we always meet with Corey, we're bu- we're buddies with Corey. We would always say like we'd love to do, you know, Warhammer Quest in in the Descent setting because it makes total sense. You know, it's your guys' own fantasy setting and you know, we're familiar with it. And it was always just down to like scheduling, you know, and they have so many Star Wars games and so many big projects that they need to, <laughs> making a, a new for FFG to do a new game line is a big endeavor because they do so many expansions and stuff.
2: Especially with uh, their IPs like Star Wars dominates everything, and now Arkham Horror everything's Arkham Horror, so it's hard to get to fit these new things and
0: their schedule. Yeah. Is just a it's a puzzle. So let me ask you, how long was it after you pitched them, got the contract signed? Because you said the core box was already designed. How long between then and now that it's getting released?
2: Well, we handed off our files, like when, when, when we signed the contract, I think it was last, last Gen Con, correct, Adam, is when we've kind of finalized that, or soon after.
3: Yeah, there was, a, there was some back and forth, there was multiple contracts on this one, so again, it's stuff that we probably can't discuss the details of, but I think with the final, like, final files and stuff like that was, was
2: probably last year. Yeah, because we we were we were kind of like it was it was kind of funny because we we like I said we had the game and we were we we were allowed to shop it around you know we could take the design because it wasn't just the actual mechanics obviously because you can't like copyright that but we had actually. Designed all the content, so we had this box done, and we could retheme it to whatever we wanted to. So we were shopping around, and it was ironic because we were actually at Gen Con on the floor. We were just, you know, doing our normal um, meet and greets with people, different publishers, and we were on our way to go talk to a publisher about possibly signing this idea or talking about this idea, and, uh, and we got stopped by the C the CEO of FFG and said, "Hey, guys, can we talk real quick?" And that was a discussion about uh, <laughs> about the, doing the. F- here's a tearing off, so it was like perfect timing, <laughs> literally.
0: Yeah, no, I just wanted new designers to kind of get a feel for, you know, you. hey, you get so excited, you get your game signed for the first time, and you're so excited you think it's coming out tomorrow. And this was a fully formed game, already complete, and it's still been over a year and a half before it's coming yeah. out. Yeah, there's the
2: because yeah. scheduling gets in the way, like like any any sort of contract work and there's just all kinds of factors that can get involved and it's a shame, but I mean it's it's something a lot of designers have to factor in anyway, especially when you're freelance because you can't rely on just, you know, one thing to to go through. You always have, you know, multiple things going on, a cast of wide net, they say.
3: Yeah, I mean, Warhammer Quest itself people didn't know about it at the time because it wasn't a, ga- a game yet, but I mean, we worked on that like the year we left FFG, which was 2013. And the game didn't come out till 2015, right? So maybe yeah, there's, yeah, it's pretty much the same amount of time. So,
1: <laughs> all right. So we got the story, but I, I got to ask because I'm a big fan of the game. Uh You know, FFG's done some previews, but specifically, you all, what are you kind of most proud about, or what are like some things you didn't love in Warhammer Quest that you think you've improved on here? Like, what do you think are some of the cool things people can look forward to? Because this,
2: I know it says it's on the boat, but it's been on
1: the boat for a while. I imagine it should be.
2: Yeah, yeah I, I suspect it's getting close. I, I think wow. there's a lot of little things. Um, I think the two big things that I'm most excited about, um, and we have to attribute a lot of this to the development team because what we handed off obviously has to go through development, and FFG owns these things. Even if you design all the content, FFG is going to own it; they're going to develop it. Um, so their development team really, uh, really honed in on these things. Like,
3: well, we should also say we should also add that, like, we don't always know what is possible, especially with this game, because we didn't—we kind of got the contract thinking, okay, well, let's just design a new Warhammer quest. We didn't really know exactly how much we could change, you know, so once it gets a handoff to development, they are in-house and they can talk to upper management and, you know, make uh, executive decisions about what exactly can, big changes you can make to the game.
2: Yeah, I think the the two big ones for me was the heroes and the classes that you can kind of customize. So there's actual hero cards in the game. They come in these archetypes. There's scouts, healers, mages, and warriors. Um, And there's two of each of those in, in Heroes of Taranoth. Um, and each hero has their own unique ability you have printed on their card, so that alone is pretty cool. Um, and then they have their own associated activation cards that are tied to their archetypes. And each archetype has two different classes you can specialize in, um, and that can obviously grow. You know, with expansions, you can keep adding more classes. And
3: and there's twelve heroes alone in the base game, which is awesome. Yeah. yeah. Oh wow. The other
2: big thing for me was, and people I think might have been a little like kind of taken aback by this, but I think it's like a great starting point was. Um, uh, here's the turn off the guts the the, the campaign uh, the, F- the 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 warm quest ad out of the box, um, which seems kind of people thought was kind of weird. But if you look at it, it's such a great foundation uh, to build the game line because there's more co- there's more diverse playable content in the base game. There's eight quests. So they're all standalone. They're all different stories, different adventures. They have different like challenge levels and everything. And they're they're totally replayable. It's not like you're playing through a campaign story that you feel like you've already you know hashed it out. Um, they're just these challenging scenarios you're playing. I like that a lot because it's it's more diversity. It's just a more variety to play through. But also that you can level up within one game session and get that whole like you know campaign experience in one sitting, and it's still as satisfying, if not almost more so, because it happens right there. You know, within a you know hour and a half game time, however long it takes you to play. But then you know from there we can obviously take it any direction you want through expansions. You could, you could add campaign play back in really easily if you wanted to, so.
1: No, that's really cool because, I mean, I, I love Warhammer Quest, but yeah, between missions you would maybe have one new item and then you'd get one action upgraded generally, so the idea of quicker upgrades is definitely appealing. Mm-hmm. You know, th- th- there's a place for your gloom havens where nothing changes about your character until you've played, like, three campaign missions in a row, and you've played for, like, six hours, and then you get one <laughs> new upgrade. But uh... <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I gotta
3: say, sometimes it's disappointing playing a game that's a campaign where you play, a, a, like, a, a quest or whatever, and then you, for the, you're for you done with the night, but you upgrade your character, and you don't get to try it out until the next time. So it's like, uh, ah, yeah. it's kind of cool to see that stuff, you know, right away.
2: Yeah, and one thing Adam and I, uh, when we do, we don't we don't play a ton of video games. We we play a lot more board games, I think. But when we do play video games, our our like cooldown games in the evenings are playing MOBAs. Um, like Here's the Storm, or um, is our main one. But it has that feel where if you play a MOBA, you hop in, you have a character, you level up within a match, and you kind of get that like progression vibe. And I really like that. In the in board games, like with Heroes of tear not that has that feel where you you start off fresh every time, and you come in and you just you level up in different ways, and you just get that feeling of overall progression, but it's just in a nice little you know smaller time frame.
0: Yeah, no, that's excellent. I forgot I was supposed to set up a match with you, Brady, for uh, <laughs> yeah, for Heroes of the Storm.
2: Yeah, we we play that almost every night when we were trying to get our heads out of design.
0: <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm playing right now. <laughs> <laughs>
2: No wonder you're missing our stories. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's right, Brady. Did you have any uh, extra things you wanted to call out in the uh, the updated design? Well, that was Brady. Just so you oh, know. Pizza.
2: <laughs> but yeah, Adam can add something if you want.
3: Um, See, yeah. Well, well, Brady stole mine. So um, those are those are honestly the two biggest ones. There's some the smaller ones. Like, there's a, a, sm- a small change where people that are familiar with Warhammer Quest might know this one, but when you get um, success tokens in Heroes of off you just collect the general pool of them. up. To, you can have up to five, so you don't have to assign them to specific actions. It's a little more... Oh,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah
3: they used to sit on the action
1: cards. Yeah, I like that.
3: It's a little more flexibility there. And also, I like the fact... It was kind of funny. When we originally submitted Warhammer Quest, our final files, to FFG, originally, the rest action was always the action that would reset your cards. That was just mm. kind of made sense to us. And then FFGs, when they were developing, they decided to mix it up to make the characters feel different, which was fine and all, but I, I still liked how it was originally. And ironically, for Heroes of Taranoth, they went back to that original concept where the rest action is the default for every character to, to refresh all their cards. So that's another change to, um, to the game.
2: Yeah, and actually the the original success token thing, that was like a pool. We actually originally had two pools. You had energy and your success tokens. And energy was spent to trigger special abilities. And success tokens were just extra successes. So now they've kind of combined those two concepts. Because now a lot of the heroes uh, in the Heroes and heroes of Taranoth will have um, different ability costs that usually cost you a success token to trigger them. So they kind of act like a currency, like a mana pool.
1: Oh, that's cool. That's awesome. Well, yeah, it's definitely going to be a day one purchase for us. <laughs> Sweet. Awesome. <laughs> so, uh, podcast, I'm sure you'll be hearing us talk about that in the nearish future, whenever it's available. All right, so going beyond Heroes of Terranoth, tell us a little bit about Blacklist Games. They're the the publisher of both uh, Streetmasters and the upcoming Brook City. So, I don't know if people have all heard of Blacklist Games. How, how did you all find them? How did you all get involved with them? Clearly, you're you're kind of there. They're flagship designers at the moment, so how'd that all happen?
3: Yeah, so they were a new publisher, and they reached out to us because they wanted to have somebody design a like a Street Fighter-style game, and they had some assets created already, like some characters that pitched us, and um, they kind of approached us saying, that, you know, we want you to do this, and we want you to have kind of full creative control over what you want to do, design whatever game you want, as long as it's fun. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that was cool for us because we knew the guy who approached us so we thought, you know, we had some free time on our schedule, and it seemed interesting and exciting to have a lot of creative control over a new uh, Kickstarter game. Um, and so we signed on, kind of rolling the dice to, you know, see if this new publisher would work out. And a- after the Kickstarter, like, we got the samples after the Kickstarter was done, and we were like, okay, well, this is awesome. This is high-quality stuff. They, they really knocked it out of the park production-wise. Um, I think we should sign up for another game, and that's how Brook City came on. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I think I think they kind of knew we were being cautious because we, you know, we we didn't overly promote the game. We 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 kind of just wanted to see, you know, how things would go. Um, But the minute we got like final production copy is like okay well now i'm going gung-ho or because like the game we were super proud of the design we just didn't know if anything would go wrong because like you you have new publishers pop up on kickstarter and it's like well let's let's just be cautious here but after everything just delivered so amazingly and even now we've just seen the brook city samples and they look almost even better like graphically is just beautiful so it's it's looking really really promising like a really promising partnership with them
1: that's great so yeah, let's let's get into Street Masters. Uh, <laughs> if you're following our content at all, you you already know that. Uh, well, let's see, how much have we done now, Peter? We've done
0: three things so far.
1: <laughs> yeah, a podcast episode with Jason from Every Night Is Game Night, and then I've done a full playthrough of an entire game of it on our One Stop Co op Shop uh, YouTube channel, and also a. <laughs> A fairly ridiculous five and five video review. of it. If you haven't seen that, you have to kind of go experience it. I'll, I'll save the uh, the surprise for for people who have not witnessed it yet.
2: <laughs> it's pretty amazing.
1: But yeah, um, I mean, I am I am a ridiculous fan of Street Masters. As I've said in the review, it, it's quickly like crazily quickly climbed into my top ten co op and solo games of all time.
3: That's awesome. That's, that's
1: fantastic f- job on that one guys and and Peter you you're not quite as high on the design but you definitely enjoy the design a lot too
3: right? no,
0: I definitely liked it. I just had some bad experiences with a couple of missions and then playing it multi you know with higher player counts yeah
3: yeah I would say learning the game uh, I mean especially if you're if you're new to the game playing with like a four or three or four player game can be a little overwhelming.
2: Yeah, everyone needs to know the decks like going in. That's like really important. To like read through the decks and know everything because it can t- it can take a while if you read every individual card as it come out. So it's there's a lot of ways the game can slow down at the higher player counts. During playtesting when we had you know very exper- people who knew the decks inside and out playing it, um, we didn't see that all the time. So having those new the new learning experience, we definitely recommend one to two players for sure to
0: get things kind of ironed out early on. With that being said, though, I really enjoyed my playthrough of it. Even when my missions went longer, I was still having fun playing, and that's the key to any of these type games. Right, right.
2: That's all. That's all I can ask for, man. As long as the fun's happening, that's 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 a win for me.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I should say for those who don't know, uh, Street Masters is a cooperative, like card-based but also miniature-based fighting game where you're you're in these uh, single boards fighting against these enemies who are trying to achieve objectives. Very much a mix of kind of sentinels of the multiverse, like hero building and card play to upgrade your hero over time, combined with a tactical miniatures game. So it's it's really an awesome design for people who have not experienced it. And uh, something we're kind of trying to market it as, where like... This
3: mechanic in the game where we have this, we're calling it the modular deck system. It's not like something we invented, it's just something we're trying to brand so people can refer to it easily, where you have a game that's built around these decks of cards. In Street Masters, for example, everybody has a fighter deck that they're playing as, and you're playing in a stage that has a stage deck and a a map tile that corresponds with that deck and then you're having a, you have an enemy deck that has the boss and all those little minions and events and stuff like that in that deck and you can mix and match any of those decks to make any kind of different combination of scenario and i think the number of possible combinations is is like pretty much ridiculous right now i don't even know the
2: number that's kind of our shorthand like people have been asked people have had like a weird response to to us labeling it that but it's like a a good shorthand way to to kind of just just brand this product line because we we plan to do more games in this vein obviously we'll always be adding and removing and and tweaking the system to to fit whatever theme it is but i just personally love fixed decks i I love decks i don't always like building decks though outside of the game like you know lord of the rings um, i love that game but i don't always want to build decks so I, i love having a character that's a deck and just shuffling up cards and, and just playing. So I love that whole product model. And that's kind of what spawned our, our whole modular deck system affair.
0: <laughs> you hear that Colin and Steve two more on our side for, uh, <laughs> for Lord of the Rings being too fiddly. with <laughs> <business>.
2: <laughs> Well,
1: but, but to be fair, he didn't say he likes Arkham yet. Do you like Arkham Brady? I,
2: I, there's a lot of things I love about Arkham. I just don't love always playing campaigns. That's my big thing. Oh, sure, um, sure, okay. But I, and I always I tell Matt this because I'm buddies with Matt. I tell I, once they release some dang Metal Chaos coins, it'll get m- the top of my list. It'll beat Lord of the Rings. But right now, Lord of the Rings is still a little higher because I just love the one-off nature of it.
0: All right, never mind. Uh, we're done well, here. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna say interview <laughs> over. <laughs>
1: I do. If you all don't Arkham. know, just like go back and listen to some of our <laughs> former episodes. We have sort of a running feud between uh, hosts about which of the <laughs> LCG
2: co-op games are better. Ar- I think Arkham is a better game, but for sure, I guess a designer. It's just I was with Lord of the Rings from the very beginning. I play tested that when I was at FFG, and I was just like, oh my god, a cooperative LCG. I was like losing my mind during development. So it's probably tainting my opinion of all other games.
1: <laughs> so uh, we've already got. For, I think can people still buy Street Masters from the blacklist website?
3: No. We are sold out of everything, but we well, are... that's off-
1: that's a good problem to have.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's it's bad that we, have, we don't have anything we can promote. But uh, luckily, with this upcoming Kickstarter uh, for Aftershock uh, expansion, we're offering a reprint of all the existing content for a, a, a ridiculous value. We uh, Blacklist released the pledge tier today, actually, um it's one oh nine for all the stuff from the first Kickstarter
1: oh wow um so it's pretty and doesn't good. that also include all the bonuses from this new Kickstarter yeah like plus the all the stretch goals. exclusive content yeah plus yeah, all I mean, that's...
2: all the stretch goals that'll be because um, there's different there's different tiers this the street masters tier we're calling it is the core game the legend of own expansion and then all the the first wave stretch goals plus all and of now, the new stretch goals as well and now
3: before brady reveals anything I'm not sure if, uh, how much, <laughs> when when this will be launching but um, there is going to be a pledge level for uh, just the aftershock, just the new stuff, which also has stretch goals, and there'll also be a pledge level for the aftershock stuff, the original stuff, and all the stretch goals, like as a pretty much get everything uh, tier for like new players. Um, so there'll be through those three main pledge levels for everybody.
1: That's awesome. No, that's that's great. Yeah, and I, I've seen uh, I've seen like some early like cuts of, like, the trailer and stuff, and, I mean, I'm just, I, <laughs> you know, I'm a, I'm a super fan. I'm just completely geeked out. I'm going to pledge for this on day one. So, I was like, we actually hired somebody to do a, an all-original Street Masters theme
3: song, and it's so amazing. Like, yeah. oh, I can't wait yeah. for people to hear it. <laughs>
0: Wait, you didn't hire Mike to sing for you? <laughs> no, no vocals.
2: <laughs> I was gonna, yeah, I was gonna tell Mike once we perform it live because, like, I- I'm a drummer, Adam's a bass player, Mike's gonna be the singer. We have a guitar player lined up, so it'll be fun. You have to write the lyrics though. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, no, 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 I got you. It'll, it'll
1: be, it'll be epic. Uh, it'll be about like, you know, fire and uh, passion and. <laughs> and action and getting ready, you know, it'll be, it'll be great. Getting awesome. ready. Yeah. You guys really
0: have to go see that five and five street masters review to get all of the jokes that are coming out here. It's so good.
1: So, uh, you know, not, not everyone will have played street masters yet, but I, I hope they go and pledge the game. But, uh, do you want to talk about some of the, the cool, for people who know the game, some of the cool things that are coming in the aftershock campaign and the new expansions?
2: I would love to, cause I'm so pumped about them. So, uh, the Aftershock expansion itself is the content is going to be 40 fighters, and they're all super awesome. They're, we have three very clothed, very powerful women. <laughs> um. <laughs> that is my only complaint, like literally like
1: my one complaint about the game of like, it's hard to get my wife to play the oh. original copy, because the ladies are a little bit... You're
2: mean. not alone. Yeah, and that's something uh, we've, we're actually pretty open about, because we didn't have full control over art, because, and we've told Blacklist this, we've made it clear, it's like we want to have more, you know, influence over the art, the betrayal, and everything. Everything because we want to help build this do the world building help build an IP but we have certain tastes we want kind of convey to art. So aftershocks gonna really show that so we hope people appreciate that because um, my wife's on the cover she's her character's pretty awesome she's one of the fighters <laughs> so uh, sh- so we have three four new fighters they're all really awesome We have uh, four new stages. A uh, themed toward, like, the nuclear fallout, you know, ruin the city vibe. And then we have two new enemy factions that are really, really cool. This, all the stuff's cool. I should stop being redundant. But uh, <laughs> the, other, uh, the other two, we have two new loot cards also. The two new things, like the brand new elements, um, are these modular elements we're adding, there's mission decks, Uh, sorry, the mission deck, and then there's uh, the showdown story decks. So um, anyone who's not familiar with with, uh, Street Masters, we kind of have this build-your-own-campaign system when you're playing story mode, where you'll have these stories you can play, these story decks that are five stages long, and they have branching paths. And every story you play, each fighter can choose to take on their uh, their fighters hero story which is kind of a shorter story it's it's got three stages to it but it's got a bonus stage so every fighter story you add to the main story uh adds another stage so if you're playing a four player game you'll have a nine stage uh campaign essentially um, and that lets you upgrade your fighter deck as you go and everything so the showdown decks are the enemy aspect of that so the, every enemy deck can get these showdown decks that have enemy upgrades to make the, the enemy decks harder um, and they also have these story cards that add another stage to the to the campaign so um, you'll you'll have like a recurring villain who pop up and you have to play through the whole story and at the very end after you've done do all the other stages you have to do a showdown stage with like the, the, the upgraded boss deck to see if you can actually win the final you know showdown, um, so I'm pretty excited about that because you can also use those cards for your um, arcade mode, your custom play, where you can tweak the enemy decks to the, the to the challenge level you want. So you can just you know put one, two, all the upgrade cards in the enemy deck and make a really hard version of them, or customize it however you want. And then uh, the mission deck is going to be a way to kind of bridge the the downtime when you're playing higher player counts. So you can use it in at any player count, but if you're playing three to four players. You can do these mission cards, and you'll have tasks you can do. Like a mission card might say you have to not draw a card in your draw phase. And if you accomplish that task, you discard the card, you get a mission token of your color. And those mission tokens are like a currency you can buff other fighters on their turn. So you can kind of influence the turns when it's your downtime. So it just adds a way you can have more choices and more activity on your friend's turns instead of just watching so those are the new elements we're adding, and all this comes packaged in a huge storage box that holds all of your Street Masters content to date. Everything going to be able to fit in here. Unless you paint your miniatures and you don't want to bag them up and put them in this box, we'll have another surprise for those people as well. No,
3: we, no, we won't, Brady. <laughs> we, <laughs> we will. Don't have, we don't have any surprises.
0: <laughs> you heard it here first.
3: <laughs> this is why Blacklist doesn't let Brady talk to people. <laughs>
2: <laughs> We've talked about that plenty. I can't guarantee anything, obviously, but <laughs> so that's uh, that's kind of the that's what's in the aftershock box. There's a lot of stuff in there. It's going to be a really cool expansion.
0: So, didn't I hear something about you being able to use those power tokens for other things as well, or or was that a rumor?
2: There are uh, there was going to be there, there's some effects in certain stages that use power for other things. Um, there is something that maybe. We we can't talk about right now, but okay. <laughs> yes, they're, so they're it's a it's a complete rumor. You don't yeah. know what you're talking yeah, you're, about. You're, you're, it's hearsay. It's hearsay. We'll cut all that out. <laughs> no, no, you can leave it in, but we'll just we'll just say it's it's a rumor. Deniability. <laughs> it's, it's a rumor
0: for now. All right. Yeah. Yeah.
3: The, the nice thing about blacklist is, while they want to keep things secret, they're they're not going to sue us or anything like that. So yeah. it's okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. I mean, that, that would seem to be not in their best interest. No, but when they're going to sue us. Literally, both of their <laughs> games so far. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're
3: not going mean, to they're not going burn this bridge just yet.
1: So. <laughs>
2: The the other big thing that is is new and exciting for Aftershock is if you pledge uh, for this big box, the, the value is already insane for the pledge level, but you also get another expansion on top of that called Essence of Evil. And that adds a new fighter, a new enemy faction, two new stages, and all the associated story decks and tokens you need for everything. So that's a pretty exciting expansion as well. And that's just the kind of the base pledge for Aftershock.
1: Ah, oh, man. I'm so excited about all this. <laughs> and then one
2: one other cool thing I want to mention, too, um, that actually involves you guys, because a lot of recommendations uh, we got from, t- from having our conversations about your experiences playing Street Masters, you guys had some great ideas about how to integrate simultaneous turns within a game of Street Masters, right? which I hadn't really messed with too much because I wanted to make sure there was a... Kind of, I don't want to say rigid, but like a really structured game round. So, you know, it just felt fluid. But as people get experience in the game and they, they're comfortable with their decks, you can decrease downtime by just doing your turn simultaneously. So, we're adding uh, a variant in the game It's under development now, which you guys are helping out with, where we'll have these tokens for your turn, your activation. So, you'll have like a card step token, you'll have an action step token, and you'll have a move step token. And that'll track what you're doing on your turn. So, everyone can take their turn at the same time and really, Reduce downtime between turns Um, and it has has a lot of coordination with what you do because you'll have all these minions pop up at once and you all have to kind of strategically figure out how to tackle that situation and just integrate your turns so it's been working out great so far we're still testing it and everything but i think it's a winner
0: Yeah, it's funny. We're doing that for our dungeon crawl. Mm -hmm. And and it took a lot of, first of all, figuring out like, wow, what are we going to do about this downtime problem? We did everything from having the person across the table activate their enemies. So they felt involved in the turn, Mm -hmm. you know, so it's like one person goes and the person across the table is activating enemies, the next person goes, but you don't really feel like you're doing anything, just activating your enemies. But (laughs) at least you weren't just sitting there doing nothing. So we tried a lot of things to get everybody in a table in a four-player dungeon crawl to feel like they're involved, and this simultaneous thing just worked out so well. Now, we have to redesign a lot of our levels, but I, I think it is so worth it because there, there are two benefits in my mind. Number one is that it doesn't feel like there's downtime. If you guys are on opposite ends of the map, you can both do your own things. You would have been doing it anyway. Nobody's losing out on anything. Right. But the even cooler benefit we found is if you're near each other and there's movement effects... You can like do some really cool combos. Hey, can you bring that guy closer to me so I can hit him too? Right. And so we we're really able to increase the amount of cooperation in the cooperative game just by letting people take their turns at the same time as each other.
2: Yeah. Yeah. For sure.
0: Yeah.
1: So I'm super. I'm super jazzed that it's working out so far. Like the the simultaneous idea for Street Masters, and I'm definitely gonna be trying that out several times. Like probably when I teach my wife the game for the first time, we're gonna play it that way because she's been. I mean, like, I love this new trend towards simultaneous play. Like, Spirit Island is a big one for me that I feel like is fully successful. So, yeah, I'm glad that it's working out for us. I'm glad that it might work out for as a variant for Street Masters. Definitely really exciting stuff.
3: Yeah, and also one of the things we're going to offer in the Kickstarter that will keep things nice and clean for everybody is we have these uh, neoprene fighter mats. Ooh. You're going to have slots for those uh, tokens, so everybody yeah, can oh, easily man. keep their, their player area organized.
2: I haven't shown you that, have I, Mike? No, I, I had no idea. There was. I mean, I, I gotta show you that. Y- no.
1: You know, it's a real game when you got neoprene. Old, yeah. You know, like th- that's when you've arrived.
3: It's awesome because it's got like spots for your your fighter card, your fighter deck, your discard pile, your token oh
1: pools, Jeez, your, your player, your it's, threat area. It's even got spots. All right, all right sh- shut up and take my money.
0: <laughs> By the way, I've really got to push our publishers at PAX this year to get our games out because we need. To get Mike some more money, so he can keep buying stuff. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I fully yeah, support this, that. <laughs> this,
1: this is a bad time for Kickstarters. Um, and speaking of another Kickstarter, because I, I, are, are we good on Street Masters? I think we. I think we that's yeah, that's the most of, the, that's as of As long as people know, October twenty third is the day to come check it out. So yeah, so you you all after you did Street Masters successfully with Blacklist, you had another even more successful Kickstarter, I think. Right now that the company was was better known. Yes, yes yeah. it was slightly more successful. It
3: would yeah, have been
2: a lot. Awesome. Yeah, it would have been a lot more successful if the timing was a little better because we had to launch. But Street Masters was still kind of finishing up, getting out to people.
1: So, uh, so you didn't have all the good
2: buzz of having exactly, delivered the yeah. first game. But yeah, we, we yeah, still did great so. considering.
1: <laughs> yeah, I also
3: think one of the big factors is since, since Blacklist is a smaller publisher, they didn't have like the marketing potential. Like the, the, There wasn't a big focus on marketing because we're focusing on making sure we make really good games. And so like, everybody was kind of, with such a small team, we're kind of stretched thin. Um, I mean, for Aftershock now, we decided to hire one of our developers, Scotty, who's been handling a lot of the marketing and doing a great job getting the word out Uh, because constantly after Street Masters was delivered we just heard online all the time I can't believe I missed this Kickstarter, I didn't didn't even hear about this I can't believe it and so we need to find ways to get the word out more besides just me and Brady talking to people online (laughs) so that was one of the biggest hurdles we had uh, for Brook City uh, because we were were sure Brook City was going to be a hit I mean it's a cop, action cop theme like Grand Theft Auto style game and it doesn't really have much out there like that
2: we should say what it is. It's
3: it's yeah. uh, Brook
2: Brooks City is uh it's a it's very oh you go ahead with the description Adam.
3: So yeah, it's a cooperative miniatures game, much like Street Masters. Um, it uses the MDS, where it's modular deck system, but it's it's all takes place on a big city board, and it's very inspired by like '80s and '90s cop action movies like lethal weapon tango and cash beverly hills cop speed stuff like that
1: yes <laughs> all of everything you just said is the best thing <laughs>
3: <laughs> and you're you're running around the city busting up crimes and trying to solve a case um so the way the game works is that you know every has a cop deck they all function differently like just like street masters uh, fighter decks do so you have a you have cop decks you have the criminal deck which is kind of like causing problems around town and they all do it in different ways And then there's the case deck, which is kind of your basically your objective, like what you have to do to win the game. I'll give some examples. Like one of the criminals is like a drug dealer named Gus Ferguson who drives around town picking up money and delivering it to the syndicate, and you kind of have to keep him under keep him under control, try to keep his drug operation off the streets. And there's a case decks like the Jewel of the City, which is the mayor's daughter's been kidnapped. So you have to drive around town trying to find clues about where this girl is, where the kidnapped girl is, and and try to rescue her in time. And those can all mix and match. So you can have any criminal doing any case, and they're not necessarily have to be thematically locked together, but the criminal is just a major player in the case.
2: Yeah, because mainly the criminal deck represents your loss condition, while the case is your win condition. So really, the if you look at it in a way where the, the criminal deck is kind of the fires you have to put out, you know, they're just popping fires around the city, you got to put yep. them out, and then the case deck is, is where you have to go, you have to make progress on this while also putting the fires out. So there's all kinds of different themes you can do with those different decks, obviously. Yeah,
0: that makes perfect sense.
2: But they always fit together.
1: That's a fun uh, reversal on Street Masters, in a way, because, you know, in Street Masters, the objectives are what the enemy are trying to achieve and you're trying to slow them down enough while you, you know, defeat the boss Right. So I like the idea that now like, the boss is the fire and you have your own, like, unique objective to attain. So Exactly. Really nice.
3: You nailed it right there. You can you can actually go and try to, like, bust up the criminal but you're, not, you're only going to slow him down because you don't have enough evidence to, to lock him up. So you go there and you cause problems and, you, you know, you slow his operation down But you're also losing time on the case, so you kind of have to juggle what's more important right now. Is the criminal getting out of control? Do I have to go bust him and slow him down, or do I want to focus on the case and get this done? And one of the other cool elements in the game is the vehicles.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, you mentioned Grand Theft Auto, so what can I drive?
3: Yes, so everybody starts the game with a standard-issue police cruiser, which is probably the best car in the game. Uh, It's very efficient, gets you around quickly, especially when you have crimes out. Um, But there's also a ditch effect. In this game, ditch effects mean discard the card and do this
2: they're like faint they're yeah like they're faint, faint effects,
3: effects from, from street masters. masters so there's a ditch effect on the cop car that lets you pretty much go anywhere in the city so you can basically just drive drive like a madman and crash your car and go wherever you want <laughs> so you're always tempted to do that in an emergency but then you're you you do not have a car you're all the way across city you can get your car back if you go to the station and explain to your chief why you busted up your car but you can always get a car if you go back to the station but sometimes you're in far away so it's like inconvenient you can all anytime you enter a street, you can choose to commandeer a vehicle. And that means you can draw a random card from the vehicle deck. And you might get a Lamborghini, you might get a moped. Oh, you don't know. Oh my gosh. No.
2: You'll, you'll always thing. get a yeah. moped. That's the way yeah, it works. Whenever <laughs> I get to
3: pretty lovingly called the the dingle hipper. So the dingle hipper is funny because it's slow, but it can also recover stress. Because it's just, it's just a pleasant cruise. And it can also drive through buildings. So it's kind of funny.
0: Yeah, I was about to say, you can go down staircases. Exactly. You can do yeah. all kinds of things oh, on the moped. That, what do you mean the police cruiser is the best car in the game? I think the moped is like clearly superior. Our playtesters
3: love, play love the Thrasher, which was like a sports bike that could jump the river in the, in the game. So that, that one's an awesome one, too.
2: I've lost many games from just cruising on the Dingle Hipper, though. So you got to be careful. Yes. I, I will say,
3: one of the basic loss conditions of the game is if any cop gets fired, you lose, which. If, that's basically, like, every cop has a stress value, which is, like, kind of, you know, damage. So if you ever take too much stress and a cop gets fired, you lose
1: the game. So you kind of have to manage your stress. Now, now I, I need to say, because I'm a lover of 80s and 90s action movies, at some point you need the expansion where, you know, you can't really take the big bad down... Until you've offended your chief of police and gotten kicked off the case because you're too reckless. <laughs> like that's, you know That needs to happen. Like I, I, want that, I want that expansion. We'll, we'll mark that one down. <laughs> we, we, we did actually in the
3: Kickstarter, we had a stretch goal called Off-Duty Cards, which is like a little modular element you could add to the game where it's like you just draw this ran- – everybody draws a random off-duty card and it's kind of like your personal life you have to deal with. And if you deal with it, you get like a bonus. So it's like, oh, I have to go pick up my dry cleaning and go do this and
2: this <laughs> that, that was my that was my favorite one. There was one that was called a hot date, and you always have three tasks you have to do, and like one of them is like I think it was you have to get your dry cleaning, then you have to go like to get your hair done or something. I don't know. Like you're doing all these different these three different things to get ready for a date, and if you if you don't get it done, you get some
0: stress. <laughs> no,
3: no, if, if you do, do it you get a bonus. Like it, yeah, you can you can ditch the card
1: to do something cool.
0: That's great. You get a dingle hopper for her too. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, so we've got Streetmasters, Aftershock on the twenty third of October. I mean, I know you said you were just getting proofs, so I know you don't like know actual exact dates. But what what are you sort of? optimistically hoping for for a delivery date for brook city oh
3: blacklist actually had an update on brook city the kickstarter they said that they're aiming for january and that that could be it could be sooner or later depending on how things go um but we we might actually get samples in during the aftershock kickstarter and to like show off how it
1: looks and everything so we'll see when was the original kickstarter for that like how how long has it been since it was in may
2: it ended on our birthday may 29th
1: wait may of this year yeah yes and you might deliver in january yeah yep that's that's insane, right? I mean, I'm not the only one who's thinking that's insane.
2: Like, it, it is insane.
3: Yeah. Of... The, the estimated delivery date, I think, was June or something next year, so it's it's what? definitely early. Wow, yeah, so man. we're trying to
2: make sure people understand that we know what we're doing. <laughs> we have the right <laughs> <Yeah>. connections. <laughs> and
3: this one was in good shape during the Kickstarter. We we had a lot of the development ready to go. Um, the art and the the sculpts were were well underway. So uh, Blacklist was ready to go on this on that one, and it shows because it's it's
2: making great time.
1: For those who didn't get a chance to back it, once it gets delivered to backers, like a little bit later, we'll have it available. Either
2: this one should go into retail. This one should have enough, oh, okay. yeah, to go into actual retail. That was the idea. Um, we're yeah. using a new manufacturer, so we're we're gonna see how it goes, but.
3: If it does, for some reason, sell out, we will do whatever we can to to reprint it. Um, even if we have to do another like, another, like mini Kickstarter and, and a new expansion book yeah. or something.
2: Well, like we... aftershock started off as a mini Kickstarter, so. <laughs> oh, is that right? <laughs> yeah. It was originally supposed to be a reprint, but it just got it, it blew out of proportion. So.
3: I feel like the demand is there, but I, we'll see next week. But it seems like there's a lot of people that want it, um, and I really hope that it unlocks all this cool stuff we have planned.
1: Now we, we've been getting some great buzz on uh, on YouTube and Slack. So I mean, I you know I, I'm a huge fan of the game. I wanted to to make a million dollars and just you all keep on making expansions.
3: That'd be great. There is a secret stretch goal in there somewhere uh, of Blacklist hiring me and Brady full time. So I'm yeah. not sure where that is, but but they <laughs> well, definitely they definitely want to do that. You
1: got to stop giving away the secret stretch goal. <laughs>
3: Uh,
2: and I won't say what it is, but um, I will say that if you know, by some str- by some miracle, we hit a million dollars, you'll see something unlock, and everybody can blame me for what that thing is. I'll just say that right now. So yeah, you- Brady's Brady's
3: <laughs> super excited about it, but it's going to be out there. <laughs>
0: it's pretty it's pretty wild.
3: Okay. <laughs> so it's a challenge to all your listeners. If you if you make it a thousand a million dollars, then you can see what this weird thing is that Brady wants to do.
0: <laughs> nice.
1: I mean, my big hope is that it's like a. Uh... <laughs> A a short film starring uh, Brady and Adam, like, in their own action movie, like, Lethal Weapon, like, rip-off. Like, that'd be pretty amazing. Like, have y'all, like, leap over, you know, a car hood, two guns blazing
2: at
0: the same time. Well, I think we already figured out what it is. It's the two of you and Mike going on tour, doing your...
2: Street Masters music video. Yeah, it's the Street Masters theme song featuring Mike on vocals. <laughs> well,
1: I mean, I don't know, man. You know, I, I got to go do my, like, Salvation Road, like Tina Turner covers. You know, I'm, I'm a pretty busy man with game-related songs.
0: <laughs> nice.
1: No, so this is this is so exciting. I'm, I'm really happy for you guys that, that well, for, for Blacklist that is doing so well, that you're making great games over there. Yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't wait to try
0: out Brook City and, and obviously Aftershock whenever I get a chance to pledge it. Well, with all that said, we actually got a question come in through Twitter. Now, we only got one question. It's not because you're not popular. It's because I literally put these messages out, like, as we were starting <laughs> recording today. Yeah, like, so.
1: like, like, I I push the record button, and my phone buzzes, and Peter's like, any questions? You want to stash the sound? I'm like, what? <laughs>
0: I will say that I didn't think I was going to be on this episode, so I didn't. I wasn't really yes. fully prepared ahead of time. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. For full disclosure, Steve
1: was supposed to be my my co host for this one, but he uh, he had a unexpected work <laughs> trip and didn't
0: have all his recording equipment with him. But I do have the one question from the undead kid. He said, "Streetmaster's aftershock is about to launch. Brook City is ahead of schedule, and here's the Tiranoth is coming soon. Adam and Brady have been very busy with such a massive 2018." We also saw the release of TWD, No Sanctuary. Yeah, that's the Walking Dead game, if, uh, for those you aren't familiar. How do they plan on topping it in 2019? Well, the funny thing is, is a lot of things that we do, uh, they're a little delayed. So there are
2: things we've already done that'll be coming out next year. So we've already got some prep work done for 2019. Um, but we have a big announcement that we should be able to make during the Kickstarter of Aftershock. Probably
3: at the end of the Aftershock yeah. Kickstarter. So,
0: so we're super excited about it. Nice. So basically, the undead kid, we have zero answer for you. Is what we're trying to <laughs> say. We will top it. We'll, I just can't we'll, tell you. Well, how. I, I
3: can give them, I can give him a very clear answer. We're going to top it by making even more cooler games. Yeah. So. Yeah. There go. yeah. Well,
1: and, and hopefully more expansions for the games that are releasing this year because every single one of them I want to see expansions for. I actually really want to see expansions
3: for Heroes of Tyrant, so I'm going to beg everybody I talk to you to go buy it because people are. I hear people online saying they're going to wait and see if there's expansions. I'm like, no, there's not going to be expansion unless you buy it because because FFG needs to see the sales.
0: <laughs> yeah, people don't get that. Like, you have to have a successful first game in order for the publisher to ask for more content. That's right. Exactly. I'm... And they need to be proven that
3: the game is good even without the Warhammer license.
1: I, I am, I mean, I, you know, it's, it's a small sample size, but I am very confident about Heroes of TerraNov because, like, like when we talk about that on our Slack, for example, go join the uh, Co opcast Slack, by the way, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but when we talk about that on our Slack, like, you know, it's, it's not even like, oh, I you know, I'm interested in that. Oh, I want to see how it looks. Like, it's like the assumption is that every person on the Slack basically is going to own that game the second that it comes out. Like, that that's the feeling I get from it. That's good. So, <laughs> I mean, who knows for sure, but I'm not too worried about that one. I'm pretty confident. I've definitely seen you, so. a lot of people online talking
3: about it. And, like, you know, it's, I feel like it's going to do well. I just hope it does well enough. So, fingers crossed.
1: I mean, I'm ready, you know, I'm already all in for Arkham Horror LCG, so I'm ready to commit to another uh, Fantasy Flight game and every expansion that's released for it, <laughs> <laughs> At least it's a slower
2: pace than, than Arkham, that's for sure.
1: <laughs> all right, so uh, I, I think uh, anything else you all want to want to mention game-wise? I think I think we've covered all the big releases coming up in the nearest
2: future. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much what's occupying our time right now. We're kind of just buried in Aftershock for the time being, but we're stoked for everything coming after.
1: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited, too. So uh, if, if you all can give us a little more time, can we get into a little bit of a design discussion? Do, oh, yeah. Do you have a bit more definitely. time? Sure. So uh, for, for those who, I mean, well, I, I think you can probably figure it out, but for those who don't know, Peter and I are uh, a, a duo of designers that do almost exclusively co-op games, and clearly we have uh, Adam and Brady on, who are a pair of designers who do all exclusively co-op games, right? Have you all done a competitive We've design? We've
2: done one competitive game and it was a little card game, like a $10 card game or $15 card game. That's where we are too. <laughs> I was going to say, we've done
1: one competitive card game that was a 10 or $15 card game. So very similar. So, you know, we can either take this one of two directions. We can either have a cage match to fight and determine who, who is the greatest pair of co-op designers, <laughs> or we can uh, kind of share stories about how, how our processes work and, and how kind of we make this dual designer thing function. Well, given
2: that we're Co-op designers, we're going to go with the teamwork aspect, right? Because we're not. Uh, competitive. Oh man, I, I guess well, I'll, we, I'll, could,
1: I'll,
3: we could cooperate I'll... with each other, beating each other up. So still no, that, that's still cooperation. Now that's team-based.
2: That's team-based.
1: Nobody, but... nobody likes those games. <laughs>
0: yeah, this isn't Bloodsport cast. <laughs> Bloodsport. Ah, oh, it should be though. It's this is Streetcasters, right?
1: That, 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 is, that. You know, I. Where, where is the John Claude Van Damish, you know, like, do a split to injure Kai's uh, fighter in Street Masters? I, I just realized we don't have that yet.
2: They're, they're, it's coming. <laughs>
1: uh, yes, yes, I love it. <laughs> anyway, so the, the first question, I think, that is something that Peter and I took a little while to figure out. Um, how do you all handle kind of the battle of egos that can happen with a creative endeavor? And I'll just say, how Peter and I handle it is, like, one of us will have the main idea of a design, and we'll often even do like a little bit of a preliminary draft of the game before they show it to the other person. Uh-huh. And, and that person usually becomes, we kind of call it like the lead designer for that game. And they kind of have like final creative decision on things. So the other person will like, w- we'll design it completely together. We'll develop it all together. But, you know, if, if like we're really at loggerheads, like, oh man, I, I, we can't decide if we should go this way or that way. The lead designer gets like that little extra half of a vote that pushes it like one way or the other. So that's how we have kind of navigated it. How have you all made it work with like this kind of dual thing?
3: I think the only formal process we have is that we meet up and I say, Brady, all your ideas are complete garbage, but you're doing all the work. (laughs)
2: <laughs> That's, that, well the, the, the yeah it's so, sort of but the, the more diplomatic way of saying that is is like I, naturally whenever we do like we've done a lot of creative endeavors we were you know we were I think we might have mentioned we were in a band together um so we've actually started writing a book together so no matter what we're doing creatively, I just I'm kind of like a busy person I just I don't I don't know how to relax very easily um so I'll always be doing things that might not be, Close to the final, you know, like I might not be making much progress on the final design as far as game design goes, but I'll be doing a bunch of iterations just because that's what I, I have to do something, you know, to occupy my time. Um, so if we have a design we're working on and we talk about what it should be, I'll just do a couple, you know, like really scrap together little things into the table, and you know, I'll run them by Adam and he'll, you know, kind of say this sucks and he'll you know, whatever, <laughs> and then I'll try again, you know, just because it's like a natural tendency I want to do to to keep myself busy, but I. I think like that's the best way we collaborate because i think adam has better for um, what's that foresight is what i'm looking for than i do because i'm i think i'm more like short-sighted i just want to do the tasks at hand and just you know get something moving essentially
3: yeah i think it usually comes down to i mean we we always start off designs like you know just notes and brainstorming and calling each other at random times like in the middle of the night saying i have this cool idea um shut up i'm sleeping um <laughs> but like we'll get together We'll try something out and it'll fail horribly, but then we'll talk and I'm usually like, Okay, Brady, well what what specifically do we want to accomplish with this game? Like what are we what's what's the player experience gonna be? And so we kinda just talk a little bit and then we, we get really mad at each other and frustrated and we go home and then all of a sudden we come back the next day with all these new ideas and it all works out. Like so it's really just trial and error for us and just kinda it usually comes down to us just failing on a design, and then talking through why it failed and what we want to do to fix it and then coming back the next time with a better process. So
0: and to be honest, I don't know that we've ever had anybody pull that lead designer string at all. No,
1: no, no, you're
0: right. We usually just go with one idea that the lead designer has and then figure out if it works or not. And if not, then we try the other idea. Right, so, right. I guess you have limited play test time, but the nice part about co-ops is you can sit there and play it by yourself. So I know that's right. your thing, Brady. Like, you know. Yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, that's a kind of how I judge things. If it, if it works well solo, because I like... I like to make sure most almost all the games we work on, it's just it plays solo naturally and then it scales from there. Um obviously you can see that in Street Masters. It's like it almost plays like a solo game that you can scale up to four player. So that's obviously how I usually start is just tinkering with stuff until it feels all right solo and then go from there.
0: But the other part of the process we share is, you know, one person goes to the other and then somebody says it sucks and then uh take it back. It's usually though me taking my own work to Mike and saying, Yeah, that sucked and uh <laughs> and going back so I'm, I'm my own worst enemy yeah yeah P- peter will
1: spend like an entire week making a new iteration and playing it'll and be like oh this is amazing this is amazing and then like three days later it will be like that was terrible i'm not <laughs> even gonna show it to you and i was like all right <laughs> <laughs> so i so i guess in in terms of like what you all were saying peter's a bit more of the brady and i'm a bit more of the adam mm. does that sound right peter
0: Well, I'll be honest, I almost feel like in our relationship at this point, you are much more of the designer, and I do a lot more of the development stuff, so you have really good initial ideas, and you put a prototype together really quickly, and I think I am good at fine-tuning some stuff, and so I feel like that's how we work a lot of time. Maybe it's just the current project that that's the way it's working mostly, but... You have really good initial ideas and I'm really good at kind of tearing them down and saying, "No, no, yes. no. This part doesn't work." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, and this is why let's try this. And kind of th- then it bounces back and forth.
1: Yeah. Well, and you know, our current design is Peter, like the one we're working on the most is a is like a narrative campaign-based kind of dungeon crawlish game. And I think I I'm I'm definitely more of like the narrative writer of the two of us, so just like the story tends to be my baby. And I guess that sort of led to me developing more of the missions.
3: Yeah, I feel like we charred roles too on projects because like in Street Masters, I will admit that when we were doing that, like once we got the core design done, we were like super excited about the core design, but since it was a new publisher and I wasn't sure how the Kickstarter would do it, if it would even fund it all, I wasn't too thrilled about putting in too much work on the project. <laughs> and like, so I was kind of like, I wanted to be like more like wait and see, um, but Brady didn't want to wait and see, Brady just wanted to work on it. So Brady did like a lot of the development on Street Masters and so like... He kind of, well, pretty much all the stages. I, didn't, I, I, don't, I don't. There are actually stages in the core set that I haven't even played yet. <laughs> but, but, uh, but yeah, like there. Brady was, you know, went nuts on Street Masters, and then Brook City came along. And after, when, during Brook City, we opened up the Street Masters product, and I was like, like, okay, this is for real. This, this is awesome. You know, this, this is a great product. I want to make Brook City even better. And so I kind of ran off on Brook City, and I did a lot of the like pretty much directing the development of it, putting, you know, dealing with spreadsheets and making sure all the expansions were done and stuff like that. And Brady was just playing a lot of Street Masters <laughs> and helping out helping out on different stuff when he could. But like we kinda jump off on roles where it's like sometimes a project hits a sweet spot for us and then we just want to take ownership of it and uh, you know, like asking a person to help out and kinda tell them what what we want
0: them to do. Well, the nice part is that you have blind playtesters even in the two of you. Yes. Right. So the other person becomes a playtester for you at that point, and one of the best, because they know what your goal is for the game.
3: Yes, and that's even true with Aftershock. Brady was jumped on this content right off the bat before I even got a chance to look at it, and I was playtesting some of the stuff he did, Like, and I was like, okay, well, this is really cool, but let's just change this one thing, and now it's even better. So, yeah, it's it's great to have the ability to jump off on different projects and balance workloads between the two of us.
0: So why co-op games then? I know, Brady, that is your favorite type of game. But, you know, how did you get your brother on board with doing just co-ops? And, you know, why aren't you guys, like, making the next Warhammer?
1: Yeah, that, that's, that's a good I
0: think, impression. well, I think the, the big
2: part of it is it's just a matter of us creating together. And I think, like, Adam's less driven to create things that he wants to play like he i don't think you want to design a game out of you want to you you want to be a a fan of the game
3: this being said i love street masters like I, i love to play street masters but i also the games i like to buy and put my my hobby into is usually like war games and Warhammer and stuff like that. I have no desire to design a tabletop war game. Like I just yeah, don't see. care about that, but I love to paint miniatures and play war games with one other person head to head. It's fun. But it's more like a narrative experience where I like to make these stories. And I love toys. I used to love those. When you go to the museums as kids and see those dioramas and stuff like little, I love those. So I, I just have a thing with miniatures and scenery and stuff. I love it.
2: Yeah. So the, the other, cause the, the thing about the, like my like my desire like I I do always get pulled into creating things that I love like that's why I started writing in the first place I got really into fantasy novels and I wanted to write one so that's like I just had to do something that I did in my free time I wanted to create those things so when I started falling in love with all these co op games I just wanted to create some because I couldn't find the right one for me so like I felt this need to create something that I saw a void for I'm just always attracted to buying and playing co op games even though I play. A vast array of game i'll play whatever games put in front of me usually but i just buy i collect and i play excited about co-op games so i just want to create those things because i want to be that
0: excited about my own creations Well, it's funny our story is a little different because we almost never played co-op games before we started designing and then every design we started working on just turned out to be a co-op game not even <laughs> intentionally and then we're like, oh, maybe we should do some more research on co-op games. And that's part of the reason we started that podcast <laughs> was just like, we need to play more co-op games. And now it's funny, this past weekend, we had a, a weekend of gaming and didn't play very many co-op games at all. And we found ourselves getting more angry at each other. It's like, you know, w- when we were playing competitive games, it's like, wait a minute, I've lost my ability to lose a game with any sense of grace at all after playing all these co-op games. <laughs> yeah, and I will say on our game
3: nights we have with our friends and stuff like that, we, we always play co-ops anyway. Like, it's just kind of like the default game we like to play. We don't really get, we're not very competitive, even when I play war games, I'm usually playing against somebody just for fun. I'm more like, you know, let's make a cool battle here and see what happens. But like in a group environment, I don't usually have fun in competitive games because there's always like backstabbing and, and you know te- you know, people teaming up on other people and making people feel bad. And so there's like, there's all, it's not like people get seriously mad, but it's just kind of uncomfortable sometimes. But when we play co-ops, it's always fun. Like people just, you know, let's see if we can beat this game together. Oh, I get seriously mad. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I have played with people like that, and it, it makes it even more awkward, but I'm definitely not one of those people. I don't get too worked up. I don't get that invested in a game, so...
0: No, I was just kidding. I, I don't really <laughs> get mad Well, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: mean, you. I was going to say, I mean, I know... Brady and Adam, do you both have kids?
0: Yes. yes. Yeah. I have two. Adam
2: has one.
1: Well, congratulations first. But yeah, I was going to say, like, uh, although Peter's making it sound like it's just the design work that made us play more co-ops, I also know that uh, for me having kids and especially now that like my you know my, my oldest my six-year-old is actively playing games with me on a weekly basis like he'll he'll get games down from the shelf and want to play them like every day I'm, I'm not, I can't play a competitive game with him <laughs> you know? like it crushes him completely the only one he can play is uh, Santorini which is an abstract uh-huh. but that game has like you can do some pretty big handicapping so I let him play with the god and I don't and, and then he, <laughs> he, t- he wins more than 50% of the time so So he's actually been very gracious in loss now in that one. He's like, oh. And like when he wins, he's like, Daddy. You played really well. <laughs> yeah, thanks, you. Little <laughs> oh, he's,
0: he's patronizing you already. That's awesome. Oh yeah, I
1: mean it's, it's great. It's great. I mean it's be, it's better than doing a dance, you know. My daughter's like there screaming. too because my
2: daughter's six and she's been playing games since she was two. Like she's she's just way advanced, more advanced than she should be at games. But every time we and she's the same way. She'll always pull down a game. She wants to play games every night. I shouldn't complain about that. But sometimes it's like, ah, oh, give me a break. But she'll always <laughs> want to grab a game. If I, if I break a new game out, she'll look at it and say, "Dad, is this a Cooperative game because you can tell on her face, like, she's not going to mess with this if it's not cooperative.
3: (laughs) Yeah, she only likes co ops. My my daughter has two outcomes on a game it's either she wins or it's a tie. That's the only time.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so my 10 year old's been playing a lot of chess lately, like playing at school, and he's been playing with my wife, and he's like, I am unbeatable at chess. So we played tonight, and it really wasn't close, I kinda skunked him. I'm like, all right, we're just sticking with cooperative games. Like, <laughs> like, like, like I'm gonna beat you so bad that you'll never want to play a competitive game again in your entire life. Like I crushed this J- soul. Just,
1: just add some randomness, Peter. Like roll a die before each of your turns. If you get a four or higher you don't get to move a piece. No no
0: no I don't want to I don't want to encourage this competitive behavior. Like I just pressed <laughs> it right out of him. <laughs> I gotcha. <laughs> Alright, so uh, I I told Brady that I
1: would ambush you both a little bit. Uh-oh. Wait, how is that ambushing someone? Hey
0: guys, I'm over here!
1: <laughs> well, because they don't know what the ambush is yet. I'm over yeah. here, watch it's out! Like they see me in the bushes, but they don't know my, what my weapon is. Um, so, but instead of attacking uh, one of your games, because I love your games, we did our top 20 games of the podcast a few episodes back, so, you know, shout out, go check out that episode if you haven't yet. And I'd love to hear, for each of you, your top five co-op games, not including your own design. Oh, come on. Oh, so got, you can't say, nothing. like, Brook City and, and Street Masters is number one right away. No, that's
2: that's hard because, like, I, I, I always tell people it's not even, like, a biased thing or, like, even if I didn't make it, it's hard because that is, like, my ideal game. So I think uh, my number one is probably just for... Kind of nostalgia's sake, I think is is Lord of the Rings because it was so impactful for such a long time. Um, it's I'm still I think it's up to up, up for debate whether or not I like Lord of the Rings or Arkham LCG better. But I think Lord of the Rings is up there number one. Number two, I I'd probably have to go with uh, man. I hate leaving out Street Masters. This is painful, guys. Man, it's it's be a tough. It's like a it's a tie. I, I think I think two would have to go to Arkham Horror because I do I do love it. It's almost probably a first place tie.
1: Now the the actual Arkham Horror board game? The,
2: no, the the uh, the LCG.
0: All right, so we've convinced you that it's a tie now. Good. It's it's close. Yeah. It's it's just.
1: It's, <laughs> well, we'll, just we'll just keep. You're gonna stay on the podcast for hours until you're like, yeah, you know, Ark- Arkham's definitely the better game. I like Arkham better.
2: <laughs> I think if Arkham had the same amount of content as Lord of the Rings out under its belt, it might, you know, but Lord of the Rings has sure, so sure. much stuff so it's turn through. So yeah, those those two are up there. I think number three would have to go to, and this is more like. I don't play it as often, but it belongs up here because of my, the impact it had on me for design is um, is just the Arkham Horror board game. Um, yeah. I play Eldritch Horror more, but I think Eldritch Horror owes a lot to Arkham Horror, obviously. So, Absolutely. So both of those probably get that third place slot. Fourth place would have to probably be Defenders of the Realm. Uh, by Richard Lanius. Oh, okay, interesting. Yeah. That one is so like
0: two Richard Lanius games back. To yeah, back. I was gonna say yeah.
1: definitely a Lanius yeah. fan.
2: Yeah, when uh, we have a co-design with Lanius, that will be coming out next year. So I'm psyched about that. That was, that was a pretty. We
1: we too have a co-design with Lanius that might be coming out next year. So nice,
0: we'll, see nice. how it goes. well, who knows when it'll come out? At well, this yeah, point, yeah, yeah, it's no, been we're... sat on for three
2: years. At this point, oh, uh, that's yeah. a good point. <laughs> that happens, man. That happens with those freelance ones. And then uh, fifth, let's see, man. I used to have this locked down because I could just include Street Masters, guys. You're making it rough on me.
0: Salvation Road, all right. So now, Adam. <laughs> Salvation Road. Oh, you know what? Uh, did you say solo or co-op? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you can absolutely. do solo okay. or co-op. sure. Because
2: uh, Thunderbolt Apache Leader, which is a DVG game, oddly enough, I'm not like a huge war gamer, but that was like one of my first solo games I bought, and I spent like probably months... Just every night, just sitting down, having a beer, and playing Thunderbolt Apache Leader all night. Like I just loved that game when I first got it, so that had a huge impact on me for solo gaming.
0: Nice. All right, Adam, they don't have to be in order, and you don't even have to come up with five, but if you've got any other ones that pop out to you, go for it.
3: I do have some. So one is really old school, and it's mainly because of like foundational gaming, and that's Warham the original Warhammer Quest.
1: Yeah, that's a great one. Not because it's a good game,
3: <laughs> <laughs> like not it's good experience, and it's like it's great content. Like it's, it's a huge role playing book right in the box. It's like so much content. It was it was cool. It had so much potential. I also would say Defender of the Realm is, is up there because Brady and I, when we worked at FFG, we got that one and we played it like nonstop until we beat it one night in my my little apartment in Minnesota. Uh, so that was pretty memorable robinson caruso is also a, a big one
2: that was that was close to in my top five i just don't play it as often but it did have a huge impact on me yeah
3: yeah and that one is because it was different than the game i'm usually i'm used to playing like i don't play a lot of games like that like worker placement stuff like that and it just it was one of those challenging games each one to keep playing over and over again until you beat it
2: it's the best theme in the world like island survival is the best yeah. theme
3: we, we definitely yeah. need to do a survival game someday um <laughs> Manchester of Madness Second Edition, mainly because it's the innovative use of the app and everything like that. It's very immersive. Yeah, it's so good. It was. It's just. It was really cool experience the first few times I played it. It lost. It lost its luster, but it, the first, the first few times I played it was amazing. Um, and then another one is one that I'm not sure about yet, but I'm very intrigued. I just got it. We and Bray and I played it one time. It's that Fallout Wasteland Warfare game. It's a tabletop war game, but it's co-op. And there's not a lot out there in that department, so that's why it's very appealing. But it's we played one mission; it was pretty fun. So I kind of want to try some more. Yeah, of it. it's
2: co-op solo. It looks pretty. The solo looks pretty engaging too. We've only played it co-op it's, so far. If,
3: I feel like it's almost. Be- it looks like a better solo game than co-op. Like you can play it co-op, but it seems like it's meant to be solo. So yeah, there's, that's my list.
1: Cool. Well, th- thanks for going along with
2: me. Just throwing that.
3: <laughs> no problem. I wrote those down as Brady was going. So <laughs> I'm, I'm going to get you
2: back though for not letting me put Street Masters in there because that's like that's my easy. Yeah, because I, I think I think Brook City be up there for me because I love playing Brook City.
0: Well, it's good yes. that you like your own games because you know, <laughs> like you have to you have to have that or why else are you why else are we doing
3: this right Yeah. It it sounds funny, but like when we you know our older games that I used to like I worked you know Descent Second Edition I can't play that I don't like it like it just I have so many problems with it I'm sorry for people who love it like I just there, I have so many problems with that game mainly because when I was working on it I couldn't do everything that I wanted to do because I was working in restrict you know rest- restrictions and stuff because I wanted the game to be co-op.
0: Did you try the app?
3: Yeah, I tried the app and I, I it was definitely more of what I wanted, but it was like almost two games put together, so it yeah, a lo- it's a lot yeah, to yeah. deal with.
0: Yes. Yeah,
2: but even other games like Warhammer Quest, I-, I will always play that if somebody wants to play it. But I rarely ever have a need to like break it off the shelf and get excited about playing it. So like none of the games we've done has the same effect that like Street Masters has, and I'm sure Brook City will have when we get the final copy. I don't like to break out prototypes, otherwise I'd play Brook City still. But I want the finals because I'm you know I'm I'm all about the the
0: bling, the toys, and everything.
3: Yeah, we're we're gamers. We're yeah. gamers before game designers, I think. So. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, not only that, but you don't want to wear yourself out because I don't know if you guys are going to do demos for it, but. When a game first launches, man, I remember doing so many demos of Salvation Road that oh I didn't gosh. touch the game for a year <laughs> yeah. after you know the initial release, just because I was like, "Forget it, I have played way too much Salvation Road over you know, a three-month <laughs> period. So it's always good to rest yourself from the game right before you have to do all those uh, you know demos and showing it off to people. Yeah, Def- definitely.
2: Yeah,
1: and, and it's funny, um, I was just telling Peter this the other day. In my mind, like both of our published designs, Salvation Road and Dark Dealings, like feel like they must not be that great because they're older designs, and we've we've gotten better since then. But I uh, (laughs) I broke out Dark Dealings with like some neighbors that were over the other day, and I was playing. I was like, "This game's great! I really (laughs) like this. This is a good job." (laughs) So, yeah, it's 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 interesting uh, just how we as designers view our own designs as time passes.
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: Taking breaks can be a great thing, uh, for sure. Absolutely.
0: Well, and I, I always say, when I take a break from my game and then I pull it off the shelf again, I feel like I'm a blind playtester. Uh-huh.
1: Yeah, for sure. Oh, my gosh. When Yeah, when you don't remember the rules for your
0: own game. <laughs> <laughs> well, it happens all the time. It's like, wait, which rule did we decide on again? Or whenever oh there's like rules questions online, it's like... I have to look that up because I have no idea what we finally decided on that one.
3: <laughs> yeah, people like people might think that's weird, but like when you're a designer and you're working on multiple games, it's I mean, especially when you haven't played something for months because it's been in production. It's easy to forget rules because you know you first of all you had so many different iterations of the rules, and you've yeah. also played so many different games since then. So,
0: <laughs> well, yeah, and as we said earlier, it's a long time between when you hand a game off to a publisher and when it finally hits the shelves. Oh, yeah. I mean, it is a long, long time. Like, it's yeah. been three years since I played that game. I have no idea how it plays <laughs> anymore. Well, you know, unless you're Brook City, and then
1: apparently it's like seven months. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I was terrified at Gen Con, because they want us to be on some live stream for Heroes of off and we hadn't touched the game for like six months. I'm like, I don't even remember <laughs> how to play the game.
1: <laughs> uh, that's great. All right, guys. Well... Thank you so much for, for being guests on the show, and, and everybody listening, please go and check out, let's see, so we've got Heroes of Terranoth on the boat, hopefully arriving soon, we've got Street Masters Aftershock campaign launching on October 23rd, and we've got uh, Brook City possibly delivering to backers and then coming to retail soon after in uh, January or sometime early 2019. Yep. Yes. You got it all. So a lot, of, a lot of awesomeness from the Saddler brothers. We're Really excited about
0: all of that, guys. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining us. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks for having us, guys. It's been a blast. Yeah, man. It's been great. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Co-op Cast, your one-stop for cooperative game news and reviews. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please review us on iTunes. And while you're there, check out Mindless Fate. They provide our bumper music. Also, check out Colin on his YouTube channel, One Stop Co-op Shop, and follow us on Facebook at One Stop Co-op Cast. Finally, join our Slack group by emailing us at MVP Board Games for continued discussion on these topics throughout the week. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week. So the first time we ever did a podcast was with Colin, who is from the One Stop Co-op Shop channel. Well, not, not the first time we ever did a podcast. First time we had a, a third party involved. Right. So we record the whole thing. We're down to the end. We're done. We're recorded. I was like, all right, Colin, just send me the file. He's like, what are you talking about? And I was like, you know, the file you're recording. He's like, you didn't tell me to record anything. So literally we had gone on for like an hour and a half. No recording on his end. Oh man,
1: <laughs> I've been so there. We just and he he was he was he was super cool about. It. He was like, "Oh, we're just we're going again." So he was like, "Yep." So we were up until like one a.m. re-recording. <laughs> no, no, no.
0: So that doesn't end the story. So then we oh, record God, again, right. and I think it was your recording that it, dropped out. It Mike. was me. It yeah, was me. So Mike's thing stopped recording halfway through. He's like, "Oh no, we got to the end." He's like, "Mine didn't record." So like, we literally did it a third time, and Mike's just would not work at all for whatever reason so i took parts from all the three (laughs) like we had like nine tracks that i'm now editing down to one podcast so that was our first ever podcast with a host peter basically like edited an entire movie together out of that
2: podcast
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was so crazy so because i mean we basically repeated a lot of the same stuff we even tried to like Repeat our jokes, which are of course hilarious the second time. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, there's this just dead laughter as we're like, yeah, this is really funny. <laughs> I didn't see that one coming. Even.
0: Though was- <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Peter, and I'm here with Mike. Hey,
1: everybody! We've got another special. I- blah, blah, blah.
0: Wow, we're going to start with good a start. <laughs> Hey,
1: man! I'm going. I'm going. <laughs>
3: The ability to jump off on different projects and balance workloads between the two of us.
2: Ditto. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every day to think about that one. <laughs> that was deep, man. That was deep. <laughs> Where do we go from here, man? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Game over, man. Game over. Hey guys. Yeah. Wakarakaro
1: again. <laughs> <laughs> that is actually one of your best ones, Peter. <laughs> I'm never sure how to feel about those little like ending like beats, but that, 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 was that was a good one. I did not expect Street Fighter to come out. it.